Welcome back to Sensible Medicine. We are going to have a great discussion today about ChatGPT. We've got the author of this study. We've got some critics here to take him to task. Welcome. So on my screen, we have Dr. John Ayers, who is the Vice Chair of Innovation at the University of California, San Diego. He's the author of a new paper out now that pit ChatGPT against doctors on Reddit. We're going to see the results of that study. We've got Dr. Tracy Beth Hogue, who is a practicing physician and epidemiologist. And we have Dr. Adam Sifu, professor of medicine at the University of Chicago. Everybody, welcome to this show. All right, we're going to start by giving... The few listeners out there who haven't kept up with this a little bit. Yeah, it's everyone's, this is the talk of the town. It's got an alt metric of three Gs and climbing. We're going to give the few people out there a little bit of a summary of this paper. And then we're going to get into sort of the issues about what does it mean for primary care? Who's better, Chad GPT or your internist? Who's better, the Reddit doctor or Chad GPT? Let's get into it. So I guess I'm going to have John start by taking us through the basic premise of what he did in this paper and what the results were. So John... Why don't you tell us about this little paper? What's the title, and uh, why is it the talk of the town? I think it's uh, the. T- I don't know what the title is, but I know what we did. And what okay, we did good. is we, we <laughs> pitted Chat GPT against physicians. You know, there's a huge problem in healthcare right now, and we we transitioned to virtual healthcare, and so now doctors' inboxes are full. They're full to the brim, and so CMOs are tired of getting the complaints. The Great <laughs> Resignation is also happening in healthcare in part because of this. But then at the same time, recently. We're now allowed to bill for messaging. So now healthcare technology companies want to get involved. Can we help with this problem? How do we make more money? How do we solve the, the problem? But I've always looked at this as the other side of that bottleneck, you know, the other end of the funnel, where it's millions of patients being impacted. I remember back in 2019, we coined the term crowd diagnosis because people are so desperate for healthcare advice, they'll go on public social media and even post pictures of their junk and ask if they have an STD. So people want answers. So we wanted to see if ChatGPT could solve this problem. So how do we do it? You know, do we go to a healthcare center and get their data? No, we don't get their data. Why? We never talk about the response rate. We never talk about the quality of responses. So we figured out a loophole. And that is we went to Reddit, Ask Docs. It's where users can submit anonymous questions <laughs> that will be answered by a verified, the moderator will verify the credentials of the author, a verified, physician. We took 200 of those question and answer exchanges. We took the original question, pasted it into ChatGPT, the original version of 3.5 version one. We saved the responses. And then we had a team of healthcare professionals evaluate the responses blindly. And we asked them three things. Which do they prefer? What is the quality of the response? Judging both, you know, the accuracy, you know, readability, just a general quality of the response from very poor to very good. And then what was the empathy or bedside manner response? And ChatGPT won in a landslide. Four to one of our panel preferred ChatGPT responses to those authored by physicians. Uh, ChatGPT authored responses were nearly three times more likely to be judged good or very good. And they were 10 times more likely to be judged as very empathetic or empathetic. And so with that, it's like, what do we do with that? And I guess that's why we're here today to talk about. Okay, so this is it. So a few quick questions to you right off the bat. Number one, um, who are these? Who are these doctors who are taking their few free hours and spending it on Reddit? This was a question I posed to you when I interviewed you a couple of days ago. Are they the average doctor? Are they going to be better than average? Are they going to be worse than average? These are doctors who are just randomly who are answering random people's questions on Reddit. Um, that's who you're comparing it to. What are your thoughts on these people? This is something that's come up. Well, right now, almost everybody's not getting paid to reply to messages, and we don't know what the baseline comparison is. I cannot tell you what the typical quality is to a patient message asking for unsolicited medical advice to a doctor because nobody studied it. I mean, I challenge people to show me that study, show me that data, and we're not incentivized to talk about how to put patients first in this equation, so we don't know because if you would report that, it might be lower than what people anticipate. It might The quality might be worse than what your funders would want. Uh, so, you know, here we have this issue, we don't know. So this is the best available data we have, but you, you can make some argument that the doctors participating on Ask Docs would potentially be better than doctors in the clinic. You know, it's a game of reputation. They're answering publicly. They don't want to be labeled an asshole. You know, they can't be curt. You know, they can't dismiss it and say schedule an appointment or ignore it. You know, they're voluntarily responding. And then secondly, I think they want to be there, right? I mean. 
that's innate to doctors. We, you know, that's one of the things that people go, chat is more empathetic than doctors. No, no, no. It's just that doctors can't take the time to share that empathy. And I think you see that baseline level of empathy at play here because doctors are empathetic and wanting to help these millions of people posting on social media and give them medical advice. All right, so we're going to come back. Yeah. It could be worse, and we don't know. Okay, that's a fair answer. We're going to come into this. We're going to get into the weeds. Now let's turn to uh, the, the last great hero, the practicing primary care internist, the last great hero on planet Earth. When he's not dutifully checking off all the compliance boxes, he's doing the Lord's work, which is actually addressing patients. Adam, what are your thoughts when you realize that your career is ending sooner because a robot can do your job? How, do you, how, do you, how does that make you feel, Adam? No, what are your thoughts on this paper? How do, how do you think about it? Ben, I, I feel like you've become my non-paid, you know, promotional entity these days. <laughs> with, I'm like your Marcus Welby. Um, so, I, you know, like most things, John, I love the paper. I, I read this and it was one of those papers that as I read it, I was like, this is beautiful. You know, like I love this design. I love these results. Um, and like usual, everybody who wrote about this article kind of just lost the plot, right? It all of a sudden became, oh, look, ChatGPT is better than your primary care physician, you know, which is wrong, right? I, I, I mean, and and I'm with you. It's, you don't have the data. It's would be incredibly difficult to get the data as far as, look, you know, I'd like to see patients who I know who are asking me questions on Epic and I'm responding to their questions in a personalized way. And if it doesn't feel like something I can really answer on Reddit, sorry, on Epic, what do I do? I pick up the phone, I call the person, I talk to the person, I get more information. Um, and if I'm confused, I guess maybe in the next couple of years, I'll actually put a question to ChatGPT so ChatGPT can help me you know, with the answer and then I'll communicate with the patient. Um, so I think this is terrific as far as showing like what ChatGPT can do well, right? And it can solve sort of simple medical questions. And it's quite good at communicating with people um, as, and probably better than people who are, for some reason, spending time on Reddit answering random patients' questions, which I think these people are probably not representative of, not only of physicians, but maybe of like normal humans. <laughs> um, and I don't know, that's sort of where I leave it, I think. Okay, that's a quick follow-up for you, Adam. Imagine your primary care clinic is five days a week, 10 half-day sessions, and you've got the Epic Inbox on top of it, would your answers be as good as they are now? So, A, no. Um, but B, you know, we have a responsibility as physicians, which so far we've done a pretty bad job defending, is that, you know, we need the time to actually take care of patients. And so if you are you know, clinic administrator says, okay, like, you know, right now you have 20 minutes for each visit. We need to cut that down to 15 minutes. Um, the response is not to say, okay, and then go and complain to it on Twitter. The response is to say, I can't do a reasonable job as a doctor in this much time. And the same response is, listen, you know, if you're going to say, I'm going to see patients 40 hours a week, you know, general medicine, primary care patients, that's not doable, right? Like you can't do that. Um, and if you're being forced to do that, you should get a new job. If you're saying, you know, I need to make, I don't know, $500,000 a year, and that's why I need to do this, you should find something where you can make $500,000 a year for less time and headache. Um, and so... I don't know. That's a stupid question for now. <laughs> we'll come back to that because I have some of my, my classmates who are in at least nine half-day sessions and the other half-day, uh, you know, if they have any more to do, it's going to tip them over the edge. Okay, now we're going to bring in Tracy. Tracy is uh, uh, has made a number of excellent points about this paper. And so why don't we run through them, Tracy? What are your top concerns? With And we have, we have Professor Ayers here to defend himself. This is going to be good. All right, what do you got, Tracy? This is great. Um, so I, I do, I'm super glad that you wrote this paper, I have to say, because it brought up a lot of really interesting points um, that you guys did this study. Uh, so yes, and your study authors grade the responses. 
And I would have, I would love it to like sort of redo the paper, but you ask like sort of random people or patients, like, like, can you like, just to see if they can tell it's a robot giving a generic response. Cause I, I actually think that general people are pretty good at, at like, when you look at the responses in the table, like it, it's almost like you can feel like it, it's computer generated the response. And that if, if like people can pick up on that, like that sort of takes like, like they would rather have the option of having like talking to a real person. And I guess I, another point that I wanna make is, you know, I'm not here to, uh, to defend physicians and say like, they're, they're always correct. Like I certainly don't think that they are. And I just wanna say like, I'm never above like looking up answers to questions when I'm actually with my patients, like doing it together with them if I don't have the answer or saying that I don't know. Um, and I think that's really, you know, Im important and that, that, and that I, I actually think most patients would, would rather have a doctor just say they don't know, or like look it up with them rather than have a robot, like give them an answer. I just think of like the computer generated handouts that people get when they're like discharged or in the ER or something that's like, it's meaningless information. It, it feels like that if a, if a human doesn't give it to you. And then I just want to make one more point because while we were sitting here, I thought of the fact I wanted to look up what chat GPT would say about whether or not a college student get a COVID-19 booster. Um, so I looked it up and, and it says, I, I cannot provide medical advice. Please look into the, what the WHO and the CDC say, and then remember to follow guidelines such as, and to prevent the spread of COVID such as wearing masks, practice social distancing and frequently wash your hands. Um, and so I'm like, is that what people are really looking for? Like, and, and then I guess the final point that, that I have, because I, I have so many points, but like, um, you know, when you guys were, were choosing which responses to, to show to the graders, like, did you go through multiple options? Because I know I've been looking at ChatGPT, and if you ask it the same question, it'll give you different responses every time. Like, did you guys pick, like, this is like the optimal response? Um, and okay, I wait, let's, let's do these in yeah, order. Yeah, yeah okay. so many questions, so many questions. Okay, let's do these in order. <laughs> these are great points. Okay, so we got, we got blinding, we've got empathy slash I don't know, we've got this booster comment, okay, and then we got the multiple options. Okay, so let's start with, let's start with blinding. Um, this has been posed by a few people, which is that... Uh, well, we also got that, is it better than what we have? You know, I, I think, you know, part of what both yeah, yeah. Adam and Tracy said was, you know, how does this meet against the benchmark? And and, and clearly, we wouldn't be able to do our study in the first place if the benchmark was all that good, right? Okay. And the fact that Tracy's like, I can tell which one the doctor wrote and which one ChatGPT wrote simply because I see the one is better. That shows you the problem we have now. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so let's better. It just sounds like wait, a robot. Wait, I mean, wait. No. Let's let's talk about the blinding issue. Okay. Um. So so I guess um. So I guess I I I'm a believer that if one looks at enough of these answers, one will be able to pick out which is ChatGPT. Um, but for the purpose of the research, uh, I think it's important that the people coding it didn't have an, in an interest in picking ChatGPT as the winner. And the argument that I'll make to you all is that it is a provocative paper whether ChatGPT wins or loses. If ChatGPT loses, you've got a JAMIM paper. If ChatGPT wins, you've got a JAMIM paper. You're going to be in Wall Street Journal either way. So unlike other situations where the sponsor has an interest, I would argue that the sponsor uh, doesn't have as much of an interest here in that way. Um, one of the reasons why I think blinding is actually violated, I think that's true, is because chat, like a human being typing, we are constrained by our fingers. Uh, I can't type 120 words a minute. ChatGPT can just go endlessly. And so one of the things I noticed is that ChatGPT always starts the prompt with, oh, I'm sorry, you got bleach in your eye. And uh, if you get bleach in your eye, the recommendation is to call poison control or wash it out, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the doctor will just say, oh, uh, go ahead and just wash it out. And then if it still persists, call poison control or something like that, more curt. Um, so I guess that's the question to you, John. Do you think blinding played a role? Uh, do you think it was on, you know, people knew who was Chad GPT? Did that bias your study results? What's your answer? Well, from the science, we did the best that we could. And that is we removed any self-identifying information. If someone wrote in the response from the physician and said, as a practicing physician for 30 years, this is my opinion. Or if it said, I'm an AI bot, we removed that information, right? And we said, you don't see the information. That's the best we can do. You know, could 
did we discuss the results or or dis, or any way encourage readers to know evaluators to know what they were evaluating? No, uh, but maybe you know there was potential for unblinding. But I don't know how you could do it any other way, right? If we if we limited ChatGPT's responses simply because they were typically longer, then that's changing the outcome. You that's no penalizing. That's penalizing ChatGPT. But yeah, here's the we, question: we, no do, other... do the investigators have a bias for ChatGPT to win? No, they had the opposite. They had the opposite. They had the opposite bias. You I think mean, part, yeah, part of the reason we we worked with this team of, of healthcare professionals is because you know we're in academic medicine, right? We don't only have doctors; we have the smartest doctors, the most talented doctors, right? Is that what they, is that what you tell yourself? I'm the best. Well, <laughs> is that what we tell ourselves? Is that what we tell ourselves now? That's what you guys. Tell <laughs> I don't. I don't tell myself that. I don't tell myself that. But okay. And so you know they 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 had that. You know, perspective, and you know, our our our, our colleague Papa Heen, for example, was like adamant. There's no way. What are you doing, John? You're crazy. Yes. Okay. Wow. So this is a good anecdote, which is that he was one of your blinded reviewers before the yep. study began. He thought he uh, human beings would crush ChatGPT. I talked to him recently on the phone, and he says he was mind was blown. Let's talk about uh, Tracy's next point. Um, her point about boosters is well taken, um, because you know Tracy and I agree uh, on the booster thing, which is if somebody says, "Should my college kid get a booster?" Yep. We're, Tracy and I are going to give a very thoughtful and nuanced answer, I think. But I think if you throw at the average community doctor, should my college could get a booster, I worry that they will actually just say follow CDC guidelines, um, which I don't think is terrific. So I guess that's the question to you, John. Um, what about a question like that? Should, I, should my son get a booster? What do you want the AI bot to say? One of the things to think about in this scenario is is – People are going to use this with or without us, right? They're going to use ChatGPT in this way. And so what our study is doing is encouraging them to use it with their doctor, right? By keeping the doctor in the loop, right? So we're focused on clinical uses. And if we ignore this technology and we may remain adamant that we don't want to integrate it in the healthcare delivery, then people will just stay home and use ChatGPT on their own. And while in this specific case, you may disagree with the answer ChatGPT gave, you'll never have the opportunity to correct to enhance, to elevate, to make it more practical for that patient. And so really what ChatGPT is in, in our scenario is it's the beginning of a message. And, and the beginning of the message right now is so low, either through non-response or the way messages are triaged, you know, by supporting staff. You know, now we can actually create equity and everybody gets a strong response to begin with. And then a physician can improve it or, you know, correct it. And, and that's a much better starting point than ignoring this technology and just letting people use it willy-nilly. Now, that said, I do want Adam, Adam, uh, Adam is grimacing, so let's let him jump in. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I think maybe you're taking it a little bit too far. Um, you know, because you're not comparing it to the standard. You know, what you're comparing it to is what a subset of people are choosing to use for their healthcare. And assuming that that's the best that these people can get, I think is wrong. You know, we all know as physicians that people make come to terrible, terrible decisions about their healthcare. And so I came out of this article sort of feeling like, okay, if people make a really rotten decision, and reach out to ChatGPT or God forbid, you know, reach out to a Reddit thread to get healthcare. At least if they're reaching out to ChatGPT, it's not gonna be terrible. Um, but to say that this data is enough to say that, okay, this should now be built in to my clinic's rubric for how patients get dealt with, that's an enormous <laughs> jump. Um, you know, if the next sort of generation of this research is, okay, listen, you know, Adam works at the primary care group at University of Chicago, and we are actually going to take incoming messages. We're going to look at the outcoming messages that come from the nurses and the physicians and compare those to what ChatGPT comes out with. And actually people are more satisfied with ChatGPT or the, you know, physician coders are more than you know, then I'll quit, <laughs> you know. Then Along those care. lines, I mean, I think you, we might agree that the, the right trial is a randomized trial. You take all the messages, randomize them to, I would say in the current practice, in my practice is the nurse gets first crack at all the answers. That's right. Question, yeah, questions she doesn't know gets escalated to me. So it would be that system, the control arm or whatever we do. And then the, the intervention arm will be um, chat GPT gets first crack, the nurse gets second crack, and then I get third crack. And we'll see who wins. But 
to your option question, John, to you, John, you know, I, I guess, uh, what are your thoughts on what Adam is saying? I think it's not to be mean, Adam. I think you're living in a fairy tale. Oh my God. Oh my God. To healthcare, right? And, <laughs> okay. and people don't, I, I don't know my doctor to email. Right. And so, and I work in, you know, a healthcare ecosystem. Uh, who is your doctor, John? You, do you have a doctor? I have no idea who it is. You no don't know idea. who it is? Okay. Yeah, no. Used to, yeah. I used to date one, so does that help me? I don't know. <laughs> so, anyhow, I mean, the reality of it is, is like, look, non-response is probably describes the prototypical outcome here for people in the mass public in general. I think we'd have to, we'd have to assume that non-response is potentially the most likely outcome. And then secondarily, we have to also assume the way these messages are triaged. You know, right now they're triaged by supporting staff who then may decide for a non-response or response. And then their responses, we would all agree, would typically be inferior to physician. But maybe chat GPT as a starting point would be superior to, you know, a nursing assistant, right? Who is triaging messages at the first stage. And, and right now we have a lot of resources going to triage. And I think those human resources, instead of being spent time on doing you know, verb noun conjugation and drafting the message, those human resources are gonna be spent on elevating an already strong starting point. You know, a starting point that doesn't forget to be empathetic, right? Because it doesn't But John, do you want the randomized trial before we implement? Or you, you're willing to implement oh, without- I want a randomized control okay. trial. Okay, all right. Here's all what right. I would argue for. Well, well I, let me, I think we argued this in at, Back to Adam. Let me interrupt for a second. If, if we're gonna go to this stage of the randomized controlled trial, which Vinay designed and to answer you know, your question, then I think you gotta think a lot about who you're recruiting for this trial. Because I think you're being, I mean, I'm pretty pessimistic about healthcare in America, um, but I think you're going a little bit too far about like, oh my God, nobody in America who needs a doctor has a doctor. Like, that's not true. And yes, young, healthy people who, you know, basically don't need anything. And, you know, if you have a cold or a runny nose, I don't care who answers your questions. You're better off calling your mom for those things than you are calling your doctor. <laughs> but it's going to be very important who you include in this study. Um, and I'd like a mix of people who actually don't have a physician they can get in touch with and they need to go to, I don't know, you know, Walgreens walk-in for their doctor. And then people who actually have a relationship with a physician who they're gonna be using. So I, I'm with you, Adam, in the sense that I think people who have a good relationship with a doctor, that's probably gonna crush everything. Um, but for instance, you know, I work at a couple hospitals and I see cancer patients. I would say half of the people who were taken care of with a cancer, they don't have, they did not have a primary care doctor before cancer. They don't have a primary care doctor now. And so I'm left with that. But let me go to you, John. You came in late to this. I guess one question for you to start, and maybe, and then I want Adam to answer this too, is like, Adam, do the messages come to you directly or do you have a nurse that filters then to go to you? You know, I'm, I think <laughs> I have a nurse who I work closely with and tread lightly. No, I, okay. I, you know, she does an amazing job and she is able to answer many of the questions. Um, I see her answers. I see. Uh, you see so all the most, answers, yeah. Right. And so most of those I just click through, fine, fine, fine. Where I feel like I need to intervene, I intervene. Where she doesn't think that I that she can answer the question, those questions come to me. Um, and you know, I'm not sure I exactly live in an ideal world. Well, right? if, we, if we if we deleted your nurse and randomized you to the nurse or chat GPT, would you tell the difference? Okay, we'll come back to that. Um, so let's go to you, John. I guess first question, um, what's your clinic practice right now? And two, what are your thoughts on this issue? Yeah, so um, we get messages and they are, they're sent, the, the medical assistant um, sends them to us and then we send a response to the medical assistant and uh, we have a we have a team, uh, two nurse practitioners and two docs, and um, you know the nurse practitioners can answer. And it, it's, but I, I have to say, you know, I'm a specialist in one field of cardiology, and still I get inundated with patient messages, and it's increasing. So I can't imagine how bad it is for a primary care clinician. It's got to be it's got to be way worse. And you know I. I guess I'd make two comments about the study. One, John, I really, uh, I, I review a lot of studies. And one of the things that I want to defend you against Ben Recht, 
um, who is really <laughs> aggressive online, is that your second line in the uh, in the in the um, in the conclusion was not you know this is great it's we should explore this further and then your third sentence was like let's call for randomized controlled trials so I wish more early uh, sort of first inning studies did that and and the second thing I would say to Adam Adam I mean. When, uh, when when we were writing in, in pen and charts, when we were putting nickels in copy machines, before there was an internet, we, we didn't, we, we couldn't even imagine what the internet was like, right? So this is, this is what I think we're on the brink of. I think we're at this inflection point where we can't even imagine what this was, because a year ago, no one was even talking about this. Okay, so Tracy, let's go back to taking John Ayers to task. We brought him here. Uh, we are compensating him generously for his time so that we can grill <laughs> with zero dollars and zero cents. Okay, Tracy, what else you got for John now that we've, so we've guess, we had first pass at him. Now we'll go second pass. Okay, so um, I want to know about this, I guess, assessment of accuracy. But before I get yeah, to that. Yeah, let's get into like, accuracy. I, I do want to I do want to say, like, before we do the randomized trial, like, we have to figure out what types of questions are we expecting ChatGPT to be able to answer? Like, I don't expect ChatGPT to be able to say whether or not, like, a patient should get a certain surgery. Like, should they get a knee replacement? Like, I don't, like, I think that there are many different levels of questions that doctors can get. And, like, we all agree that there are some, like, what is the maximum amount of Tylenol you should take in a day or something like that, when whether or not you should stop, like, uh, you know, a blood thinner before a procedure. Like, you know, maybe those are the types of questions that like we could say that ChatGPT could answer. There are also things you can look up on Google. But, like, I think, um, you know, if you're going to use ChatGPT and you're going to evaluate it, you need a way to say whether or not it's actually accurate um and i guess that's what i want to know what the assessment of accuracy all right is. let's get into the accuracy before we do that real quick and your in your practice tracy how do you do it any any barrier between you and the patient so, or is it straight to you i mean so like i was saying i mean a lot of my patients like if i know them they have my cell phone and they have my, my email and like I mean, I, I have patients that I know really well and it's sort of like their health is like an ongoing process it's not like you know, I, and so I know their whole story, right? Um, so okay. I, I feel that's, like that's that's what, that's, that's, what that's really fair point. Part of what but I I, I looked does. it up for this talk. The average PCP right now panel two point five to three point five thousand. So they may yeah. not know. All right. Uh, so that, let, yeah. that's a problem with healthcare, right? And so we like I think one of the points that I made is we can't. I don't think we should be looking to chat GPT to solve our all of our healthcare problems, like if like the healthcare system is broken because there are not enough primary care doctors to see patients, then ChatGPT is not going to be the answer to that problem. They all got to go into ortho. Okay. That's, that's the, it's, I didn't set the rules, but the best students got to go into ortho. That's the way the world is. I don't know. And uh, okay, let's go to John. I want to know about accuracy. A couple of people have raised that. And I want to know about what questions can ChatGPT get. So let's talk about accuracy. You have a uh, uh, a limitation in your paper where you say you didn't score for accuracy, but you also say that there's a quality rating. So how does this paper work? Um, get in, let's, let's talk about that. So our primary outcome for quality was we asked our evaluators to evaluate the quality, quote, the quality of the information. And, and we used that purposefully holistically because we understood what made a good message was not just accuracy, but other features, you know, and based on our piloting of the end of the evaluation, you know, we found that, yeah, of course, you know, more accurate responses were given higher quality scales, but responses that were equally accurate, you know, to use the example that Vinay talked about earlier, you know, about if you, you swallow a toothpick, you know, you're both equally accurate, right? In terms of like absolute accuracy, but the chat GPT scored higher, you know, on quality because it was provided more information, more rationale for why the person should be not concerned, you know, gave action points to the patient, uh, that they seek out medical care if they have these symptoms, you know, like blood in their stool or severe stomach pains. So, you know, it, it, it had those action points that the doctor didn't have, even though both accurate, right? The risk is low. Uh, so that's what we used here. Now, we, we purposefully use these loose qualitative uh, definitions like of empathy and quality on purpose because we understand like this, this art of practice. You know, what's quality to one may not be quality to another and what's empathetic to one may not be empathetic to another. And that's why we use this ensemble coding approach. So instead of assuming a priori 
that I could give you a checklist of what is a good message and what is a quality message and what is an empathetic message. We just, we allowed annotators to provide their opinion and then we averaged over those, you know, considering, you know, the variance in the responses to, to capture the main. I put this question to your reviewer, Aaron Goodman. He says, quotes, the language in the discussion is poorly worded and is intended to say we didn't judge for accuracy separately, but as a doc reviewing, I myself checked for accuracy. Uh, the second thing he says is that I reviewed all the responses, quote, I was amazed at the empathy and the way it typed responses, quote, it did better than me. I don't have time to respond that way, end quote. So so he knew it was the robot. He just oh, gave it away hold on. by saying Hold that. on. Here's what he says. Quote, Tracy is, Tracy is right about the blinding. I knew right away that is right, chat GPT. I'm comfortable saying that. And, uh, um, but but that's, I, Tracy, I don't think that's a problem because I guess I would say that, I mean, in there all- There is a problem because no one wants to hear from a robot. Like, but, he, I, but, I, but he rated the robot higher. You're saying nobody wants to hear, no, but he gave no, him a higher no, score. Like, I think he was like, oh my gosh. I like he he was past the point of admitting that it was a robot who was talking to him, but he was just surprised that it was so empathetic. Whereas a patient might be like getting these this message and thinking, this doesn't even sound like a human that's writing to me right now. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, how do I know it's right? I think it. You let's know? go to. I think it. Okay, John, your thoughts on this? No, I I I, <laughs> I I I understand that, but I'll tell you, just from being an AFib doctor, you'll get a response. You'll get, a, you'll get a question from a patient at like five o'clock and they're in AFib and they, they need a response. And it's like the chatbot, you know, doesn't get tired. The chatbot is going to respond at all hours. The patient's going to, you know, the, 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 I agree with you, John, that I think that it, it doesn't matter whether we like this or not. A patient's going to go on. A, if they can't get an answer from a doctor, they're going to go on the chatbot. And if it's a good answer, I don't think they're going to care. And we may think that hearing from robots in 2023 is bad, but I mean, what's it going to be like in 2024 or 2025? That's what I'm saying is I don't think that, I don't big, think we have the right frame. I the think chat, that, the chatbot can work when you're in clinic. The chatbot can work when you're asleep. The chatbot can keep writing back to you. You can't keep it up. Um, but the thing I'd say is that the thing that gives it away is the length. I mean, no, the reason is I cannot type. Every time somebody says, I mean, I know I'm thinking it. I can tell you face to face. I'm sorry your knee is hurting. Let's talk about that. You know, I can say that face to face, but typing is harder, especially at the end of a workday. It's going to be curt and the chatbot doesn't have that constraint. So it's going to crush us on empathy, I think, in the written type way. Tracy, what are you going to say? Well, no, I was just going to say, like to John Mandrola's point, like I, I think that, you know, the problem is the paper sort of concluded that ChatGPT was better. But you're saying if a patient is super desperate and they can't talk to a doctor, they'll be like, I'll take any information I can get, you know, I mean, like, and so that's way different than concluding like, I oh guess ChatGPT is. Well, that's not what we concluded, though. OK, so let's go back to John. That's okay. not what we concluded, right? You know, you know, there's there's two uses of ChatGPT, and I said before, patients are going to use it with or without us, and so our focus was in the clinic, and so if we integrate it into the clinic, then we can incentivize participation in the clinic, right? If you're not available and the response rate is 25, 30 percent, you know, the unsolicited, you know, healthcare advice messages, and let's say the time the response is 48 hours, they're just going to forget about us, and they're just going to go straight to ChatGPT. Okay, and then we're out of that loop. I and I, I, and I, I'm sympathetic to that point of view that it, you, no one can beat someone who can always reply day and night. Adam, your thoughts? This is a love topic, but I like this because I, I I'm a big fan of sort of like using my my reaction to patients and situations diagnostically, right? Like I know how someone who's depressed makes me feel. I know how someone who's anxious makes me feel, and it's great listening to this because. You know, I have like this knot in my chest, you know, listening to a lot of this conversation. And it's interesting. It's not because of the threat of chat GPT. And I'm totally with Mandrola that like, we don't know, you know, because this is going to change so quickly and it's likely to become part of our practice and it's likely to become like our best assistant over time. Right. But I think what 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 makes me so anxious listening to this is that it is really good at pointing out where we're falling short, right? Exactly. Because yeah. I think if you ask any yeah. of us, come on, like, I don't want a computer spouting out things that it's figuring out generically from the internet to me about my healthcare. 
And I don't care that it's got time to put some stupid little empathic comments at the beginning of an email. Like I want someone who knows me, who's taking care of me. And what this is pointing out is like how far we've fallen that a swath of the country doesn't have that. And, and a lot of it's, you know, physicians fault because, you know, we haven't gone into primary care or we're writing stupid articles for stupid journals when we should be seeing patients. Um, and, you know, that's what this is pointing out to me. You know, I couldn't I'm not talking about this no, article. I love no, this no, no, article. No, this, this I'm great. talking about a no. lot of other journals. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it's a really great point. And I think that's... Um, my feeling is the way I think about this paper is if I, I don't try to put myself against chat GPT, cause I know I'm going to crush it. Like, I think I can crush this machine because I'll, I, <laughs> I, I, I no, I know I can crush it because especially if I have the advantage of being face to face, because we have practiced a lot of skills to make yourself a very effective doctor face to face. And I also, I don't think chat GPT will ever make the decisions I make because my decisions are much better. I'm, I know, I'm 100% confident that I can crush this thing. So I like to think about it as my colleague compared to ChatGPT, which gives me a little psychological independence. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to my colleague, I think all of us who round on services, we're always seeing cases that we would have managed differently. We always hear people give booster recommendations to Tracy's good point that we would, we would have given differently. In fact, you might even think the majority of doctors are giving us a pretty bad booster recommendation to a college kid who had COVID-19. A 20-year-old college man who already had COVID, I think the majority of doctors in America would have said, give him the booster. And what what is that rule? What do they used to say, Tracy? One month or, yeah, they had some, like, give him a booster after a month. Like, okay, he doesn't need a booster at all, right? So I guess to me, the accuracy problem is, and this is a deeper problem um, related to Adam's point. Adam's point, I think, is that of 10,000 people on the south side of Chicago, I don't know how many people have a doctor like Adam. I would speculate maybe only 200 out of 10,000 is like the average. But the other point I want to make is that doctors in practice, we have no system to give ourselves feedback. We take this mock and we do this ABIM nonsense, but we're not getting any, nobody knows what our accuracy is. And I think that's a big, a big problem here. Okay, we'll go to John, then we'll go to, then we'll go to John Mandrola, then John Ayers. Yeah, so I would, um, I guess I, I guess I want to ask the group, I mean, how, what's the next step? How would we study this? And I, and I was just going to throw, I was just thinking about, you know, how would we further empirically uh, uh, deal with this? Would, would it be, would it be like a cluster randomized trial where, where part of a health system uses it and another part doesn't, and maybe we look at patient satisfaction or we look at readmission rates or, or these kinds of things. Okay. Study PI. What is your thought? You go first. What's your next step? Or now you got well, all the glory, I, so it's over for you, right? You're out of the business. Well, we it's over. Yeah, I think it's over. I mean, but no, we got to look at what what would be the, the prototypical study. I think it's fair to say, and the prototypical study, you know, would ask the patients, "How do you feel?" And to be honest, we've had a lot of that conversation here, and and I'm kind of agnostic to it, right? If the patient feels like it's a good message, it's kind of meaningless. They can't judge, right? They can't judge how the the quality of the message. I think for us, like. The way I would look at our results is it could be a game changer, not just for healthcare, but for public health. And I mean, population health outcomes. Uh, I would like to see randomized control trials where you randomize high-risk patients like newly diagnosed with heart failure to a physician or a physician augmented with AI messaging. And you, in that case, we know what the five-year mortality is, but I know it's going to be shorter if they don't adhere to clinical advice, you know, have a low-salt diet, you know, monitor the progress of their disease and come back so we can augment their care. Right. So a message in that case could save their life. And I really do think we're at the point now where this is the first time AI can be more than than just, you know, uh, equivalency. It can improve what we offer. Right? This, this is a digital radiography where it's non-inferiority. It's can an AI assistant physician provide messages that impact the patient? And it's not just about the inbox now. It's also about the outbox. Right. So now we can send proactive messages that are tailored, not those COVID ones where we got 50 of them and it's just in mass. Now people can get, you know, precision messages and that's the baseline and then enhance those. I, I really do think we should so, start so uh, I'm pinning, on those trials so, today. Okay, I like that. So what, what, I, what I hear you saying is you can imagine for regular primary care randomized control trial, primary endpoint patient satisfaction, but for specialized situations like post-MI, 
ST Elevation MI, randomized control trial, 10,000 versus 10,000, AI plus doctor versus doctor, primary endpoint, six month or one year mortality. You're going to say one year mortality is your primary endpoint. You're willing to play that game. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, All right. Because, That's a big, I, I like it. That's I'm big. I'm to play that game because I worry this is going to happen irrespective we do the evidence. Simply okay. Because yeah, you're right. CMOs you're right. are tired of getting complaints, right? It's 20% of GDP. We can now bill for messages. So EHR companies can integrate this and they get their lobbyists to be like, oh, better Medicaid, better Medicare reimbursement rates if you have AI system messaging or auto billing for AI system messaging. Right. Well, I mean, we're okay, going to let's go to Adam. But so AI will be better than goal-directed therapy, Adam, your favorite. Okay, what do you say to that? Huh? I got to make my pitch for different yeah. patient populations, right? Um, because I would love to know, you know, okay, you know, one of our patient populations is going to be people with a regular physician, a regular cardiologist, whatever. You know, a group is going to be without. Um, because I, I, my hypothesis would be um, that certainly people without a physician yeah. will probably do better with chat GPT as who they can reach out to than nobody. Um, but someone with a physician will do better with their physician. And how should we respond to that study? We should make sure that more people actually have a physician. Yes, who can be assisted by chat GPT, because I don't think any of us doubt that that's where we're going, right? I'm already using it to help me with my writing. I'm happy to use it to help me with my doctoring. In the so uh, do you have a physician as a stratification factor? And we power for interaction by that term so we can give precise. I like that. I like that. Okay, Tracy, your thoughts on the next study. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that we need to have like a, a study where we actually determine the, we, we've been talking about the accuracy a lot, but we need a study where we actually can determine it. Cause I keep asking it questions and it keeps failing. Like every question I ask it. So I just asked it like, should a two-year-old wear a mask? And then it says children aged two years and older should wear a mask in public settings, especially when it's difficult to maintain social distancing. But Tracy, to be fair, I, I agree with you. A two-year-old should not wear a mask. But the CDs, I mean, ChatGPT can't be better than Rochelle Walensky just because she, she's a moron, but she set that guideline. So, I mean, you're asking too much of it. No, I think I think that's unfair because, like, look, I, I'm, you know, I know, you and I both know no two-year-old should ever wear a mask. That was the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But you can't judge ChatGPT for not getting that right because it can only be as good as the experts. You can't, I mean, it's it's unfair. Like, 2098 was so important because like people actually wanted to be able to go to a doctor that told them the true answer because they didn't want the answer that the CDC was telling them to give. So Yeah. Okay. But okay. on this point to John, to John's more, if, if John shows mortality benefit in a subgroup, then one would assume those answers are right. Patient satisfaction. Unfortunately, the endpoint does not capture accuracy. I agree with you there. Oh, you disagree, John? No, I agree. I okay, okay. Like okay. The accuracy okay. is not important of what the, I mean, you don't think For we it, need to establish the, it's No, no, no. I, no, look, look I, I think it is important. Establish the accuracy first before I think you do a randomized control trial. At least that's no, no. what I would like you, to see. You, I, I, don't, um, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. Like, accuracy is important. However, the patient satisfaction metric will not capture accuracy in and of itself. That's all I'm saying. That's right. I yes. think accurate, yeah, okay. Agreed. Okay, and, and the way we're the way we're into the way I propose to implement it in healthcare uh, means that we can start work on implementation now while we still continue refining the product itself. You know, the results are strong enough to I think you could argue for implementation in a randomized control trial. Okay, and I think it'll Mandrola. It'll what's your what's your gold is gold standard study? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that um, there's two ways of looking at it, and and we've we've talked about it. One is. You know, one is is you know looking at looking at uh, uh, you know cluster randomized and 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 that, but the, but Adam's point about specific uh, uh, treatments, like I can imagine it in atrial fibrillation, you know, a, a, an AI assisted. The but the other thing that's popped into my head as we were talking is, um, I don't know that you can even randomize. How would you ever randomize to a control group that's not using it because? everybody's going nope. to use it, right? It's like it's like randomizing against using a, a Google or whatever. Yeah. And so I, I think we're going to have to be um, uh, wise in, in, in terms of our maybe implementation science is the better is the is is the better route rather than, you know, uh, comparing it to no chat GPT, which makes me think. And another thought I want to get the group to think about in terms of this is how is this going to affect doctors? Right. I mean, right now, 
when I see a patient, I'm pretty sure that I know more about their know more about AFib and know more about the literature. But patients are going to come armed with way more than Google can provide. And I, I think this is going to be how doctors use this is going to be disruptive. And, and I think that bears on how we study it. Let me tell you a story. Today, this morning, I went for a run. I was running across the Golden Gate Bridge. I saw a primary care doctor just standing there at the ledge of the bridge. I said, you know, what's the matter? He said, I run 10 half-day clinics. I told them that I don't want to do 10 half-day clinics. They said, I got to do 10 half days. After all, you're not going to get paid. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, and so he's doing 10 half-day clinics. And then he's coming home every day doing Epic Inbox till 10 to 10 at night. And you know what I told him to get him off, to walk, get, walk him down safely? I said, listen, don't worry. Chat GPT is going to be writing those replies pretty soon. Don't worry. So I got to keep my promise to this. I got to keep my promise to this internist who's at his wit's end that he's going to get some help. But look, your point's well taken, John. I think the problem with the randomized trial, as you point out, is going to be contamination of the control arm because the horse is already out of the barn. How will it affect doctors? Here's what I think, the universal truth of being a doctor. If you are a cookbook medicine doctor, you're going to get crushed in the next 20 years. If you are a doctor that follows flow charts, if you're a doctor that, as Tracy points out, just blindly appeals to the CDC, et cetera, you know, I think you can, you're very replaceable. I think, but if you're Adam, I think you'll never be replaced. Like no computer can ever do that. Um, but I think for the doctor seeing a lot of patients, it's going to change some of their work. But I, I do think it threatens people. Adam, will you want to say that? It's interesting to think about, um, you know, would there ever be data that, you know, you, me as a physician would feel comfortable with a computer answering my patient's questions. And that's probably something for us all to consider. Um, and it's interesting, I, I think right now, my answer is no, no matter what data I'm presented. And that's sort of a strange position to be in, right? As like, you know, an EBM guy. Um, and I often feel like I'm so not dogmatic that there's almost nothing in medicine that I question. Um, but this may be it. Because if you get to the point that like, it's okay, I trust not knowing what's going on and my patients interacting with a computer, um, that gets to the point where I don't belong here anymore, right? I've chosen mm. the wrong profession. Doctors are useless. Can I ask a follow-up? How do you feel if you go on vacation and your colleague feels your inbox for a week? How does that make you feel? You know, I, I ask a colleague to cover my in-basket and I choose who covers my in-basket. I trust <laughs> that person. And, and it's a... So then how would you feel if you molded a chat GPT in your image? So you <sighs> train, you train chat GPT to answer like you, and then you went on vacation. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. Yeah. I uh, know. It's, it's a great question, but I ask you, and you just told me that, you know, Vinay Prasad is the greatest hematologist oncologist. <laughs> I didn't say greatest. I just said no one will answer. Oh, I think right. I could crush it, but no one will answer quite like me. <laughs> Maybe that'll cut both ways, but yeah. um, okay. Tracy, how does it make you feel? And then I'll tell you how, oh, yeah, Tracy, how does it make you feel? You would never do it. You're a true doc you're a doctor's doctor. You do everything your damn self. That's how I feel. I mean, I I mean, no, I mean I have an MA that like answers like basic questions. I mean, it's not like I don't trust anyone to do anything, but I mean I I agree with Adam that, you know, I, I'm like, well, if we're outsourcing what we're doing to a robot, like what are what are we even doing? Like I I What don't do you know. do what do you do on vacation? I mean, I don't see it. So I'm, I can just tell my practice is very, very different from most people's like the way that I listen to, you know, uh, people talk on Twitter, since I'm not at an academic medical center, I'm not in a big, a huge practice. Like, when I go on vacation, I'm on vacation. And like the patients that have my cell phone or my email can contact me, but there's no one who's seeing my patients for me. Um, cause I see my own patients and if I'm not there, I'm just not there and they're not, but I'm in a different sort of specialty where, you know, I do like sports and spine, you know, medicine and injuries. And so it's like, they just kind of wait for me or they'll go, they'll go and see someone else for advice, but then that's not the advice that I'm giving. Got and it. so I can't imagine a situation where I just like put a patient in a room and just say like, talk with chat GPT for a little while or like instead of my visit or like I, I have trouble imagining how I would even 
how I would even use it. And then I wonder like, why is it that so many doctors seem to feel like they want to use it? I guess that's- I think, I think they're burned out. They're, bur they're, they're burned out and they're answering like, I, I mean, I think some people are answering 200 epic messages a day. I, mean, I think Aaron Goodman answers 200 a day epic messages at the end of the workday. So from eight to 11, it's like epic message, epic message. I think so that's why they want- It's all about just like- you The know, volume. Here costs and just like how, how how everything is being, we're being, doctors are being more and more- But I mean- More and more patients and less time. And I mean, isn't that the discussion we're having here? Yeah. Um, and why is that? And why are we not fighting back against that? I guess- I, I guess in his case, and I think this is true, he, he does bone marrow transplant. And so here- I know the doctors here are burnt out too. There's just not that many doctors who do bone marrow transplant. So when you do bone marrow transplant, the questions never stop. I mean, but to your point, Tracy, to your point, my life has been like your life. I tell people the last time I really went on vacation was when I, before I started being an attending because I have fielded questions from patients every week of my life, vacation, no vacation for the last eight years of being an attending. There's never been a week where I didn't field questions. So You're it's like it you- wrong. <laughs> no, that, that's wrong, right? That's wrong? Uh, that's wrong. You know, you're a human being. You have to take vacation. Um, and, you know, you need to say, this is the number of weeks and I need to find someone to step in for me. Like, sorry. <laughs> no, that's good advice. That's good um, advice. Okay, John, and then, uh, John, how does it make you feel? What are your thoughts? I... I think you guys are unimaginative, really, to be honest. I think, Adam, you know, healthcare is not changing. Uh, uh, it's only going to get worse, and and we're just going to have to change with it and adapt. And and this is another tool. And again, I just don't think, I just don't think when when we were copying articles, uh, we were going to the library looking up articles and copying them. We could have never imagined being able to look them up on our phone. That's the problem. We don't have the right frame, and I I just think. I just think this idea that it's not going to happen or whatever, it's, it's, it, I, do, do I you feel, do it. you feel threatened? Will you use it in your practice? What if, no, what if I, I feel, no, there's no, it doesn't matter if I'm threatened. It doesn't matter, right? It's, a, it's pointless to be threatened or not threatened because it's happening, whether we like it or not. It's just like, it's just like, it's just like when, we, when everybody sold their practices to hospitals, it, it doesn't matter what we think about it. It's happened. And so uh, what I'm going to try and figure out is how to best use it. Right. And how to, it's a tool. It's like Google, it's like anything else. Um, uh, it, uh, for instance, Twitter, you know, I can, I, I have Twitter DM groups where I can contact 10 or 20 of the best electrophysiologists in the world and, and get an opinion. So it's just another tool and we got to figure out how to best implement it in my opinion. Yeah, but uh, you're not on TikTok. I see you. there's some limits to even what you'll go to. Okay, uh, here's what I think. And I'm curious how you all see it this way. I go to so many co case conferences where we discuss a case. Okay, it's somebody with pancreas cancer and it's metastatic. There is a standard of care based on randomized controlled trials. We give chemotherapy and then we give, you know, perhaps a second line chemotherapy maximum. Then we're kind of in a data-free zone. I go to case conferences across the world where people say, and then we radiated the, the, then we radiated this spot and then we cut out that spot and then we sequenced, we found a ROS1 mutation, we gave brigatinib and then we did this and all these ex are examples of things that they have just invented. I'm like, what the, f what the hell? There's no data. You're, I mean, there's no data to support any of this. And so to Adam's point about like what I'm holding chat GPT to, it's that I listen to so much oncology that makes me sick to my stomach, that it's aggressive. It's not evidence-based. Um, it's not what I, it's not what we teach in the textbooks. It's well, you'd fail the board exam from doing it. It's considered cutting edge because it's done at expert centers. And for me, that's the bar. And so chat GPT is already like way, it doesn't matter. Even if it's like wrong 20% of the time, it's already got to be better than that. Um, and that's my bias, which is like also why I'm like unwilling to sign out my pager. It's like I sign out my pager, I come back, my patient's getting tandem auto transplant. I said, "What the hell are you? What the hell are you doing? He was at MGUS. He didn't need a tandem auto. What are you doing?" They're like, "Oh, we put him on a protocol." I was like, "No, what the hell happened?" Well, I was like, "I'll never take vacation again, Adam." And so for me, it's easier just to feel the call from vacation than to worry. ChatGPT, I think I can train it in my image and and make sure it does the right thing. All right, let's let the study author, we'll do a closing thought on this issue. John Ayers, you're a good sport. You came here into the lion's den. 
They gave you an open-faced feedback sandwich. They, they were a little nice in the beginning, but then they just smacked you around a little bit for the last 45 minutes. It, 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 I didn't even see the second piece of bread. You know, this is a feedback sandwich, John. Um, as far as I can tell, the only thing that's definitely been helped by this paper is your career, John. You've got 3,000 alt metrics. You've been covered in Fox News, Wall Street Journal. Your business is booming for you. I'm sure you're going to get some lucrative consulting agreements in the AI space. If, if people want to find you, they know he's at University of California, San Diego. You can reach him by email. Okay, but John, closing thoughts. What did you learn from this paper? Would you have rewritten that limitation section? And, uh, and uh, what, are the, what are the big takeaways? I think the big takeaway for me is we spend too little time putting patients first. We always think of messaging as how it is our flow and not how patients are affected. And I think it's time to put patients first. And hopefully what our paper does is starts a conversation about how we can maximize patient outcomes, you know, with AI-assisted messaging. It doesn't replace the doctor. It's a doctor working with AI. Can it do it? And how do we create the incentives to do it? You know, in three years, we're going to have this. That's my prediction. It's going to be in our it's going to be in our AHR in some form or the other. Will we implement it in a way where it maximizes patient benefits, minimizes the potential harms? And unfortunately, I don't think the incentives are there right now. I think the thing I would call for is for patients to advocate on behalf of their health that this be implemented. And I think regulators should start thinking differently and not think about guardrails and stop signs. But instead, think about how do we set the goal line? And I think rule makers today can set the goal line. They said in order to have AI-assisted messaging in that certified EHR, it has to be demonstrated to improve patient outcomes. OpenAI, Google, Microsoft will start registering uh, randomized control trials tomorrow. And I think regulators can really make a decision now that impacts whether or not this makes a difference in people's lives rather than just the 1.1 million physicians. Beautifully said. I see you've been doing your media training. Uh, Tracy, closing thoughts on this issue. Closing thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I I think it started a really good conversation too. So I'm glad that, that you did the paper. I guess personally, I'm still trying to see like how we envision exactly how ChatGPT is going to be helping medicine and medical practice in general, just because like i'm not convinced by the empathy portion of it because like we said i think that if you had given the responses to random people who didn't know what was going on with the study they could have detected it was a robot and it might have been off-putting and then i'm also concerned like we've been discussing on the accuracy side of things that like i wouldn't be comfortable just if i were in doubt about a question personally as you know a physician i wouldn't like go to chat at GPT, like for the answer, like I, I, I would want to look up like, you know, multiple sources or like find a really good study on the topic. And so, you know, my intuition is just that I don't see how much this like chat GPT would add like beyond Google other than like flowery words that people might say, well, that's a robot anyway. I don't really care what they say. Um, Thank you for that. John Mandrola, closing thoughts. I would just point out um, that the primary author, John, spoke about coverage with evidence development. And I just love that idea. You know, if um, I think you're I think you're right, John, that if if um, if we said you have to prove outcomes, there'd be randomized controlled trials and that would be the same. That's what we need. Right. We need more randomized trials and we don't get randomized trials because we don't have incentives aligned. And so congratulations for saying that. And that would be my closing statement. That's beautifully said. Marcus Welby, closing thoughts. <laughs> John, again, thank you. This was a great article. It was really interesting to read. Um, and I think this conversation has helped me to sort of think about how to read these articles in the future. And it's for me going to be less, okay, how's ChatGPT doing against doctors at this point? But but more pointing out like how we as doctors are failing. Um, maybe not as individuals, but as an entire profession. So it'll just get more and more depressing as we read these articles. Um. That's beautifully said. So my closing thoughts is that uh, I think that this, I, I think there is some inevitability to, to this. Uh, exactly where it goes, it's up to us. I really like uh, John, study author John's point about um, uh, if you do a randomized control trial in a very sick population, show mortality benefit, then, you know, there, there ain't going to be any of us that can argue with that. I 
said in, I wrote a column about ChatGPT a few months ago before I knew about John's work and had seen the study. And I speculated that there might come a time where if you randomized 100 cancer patients to the local oncologist's choice um, or ChatGPT's recommendation, it may have a mortality benefit. And once you start to get to that territory, then I think it's really, you really got to wonder because there ain't no doctor who's going to be able to justify their existence when they're getting beaten in RCT for outcomes, hard outcomes. And that to me is going to be intriguing. I think right now it's a typed format and I don't type so good. You know, it can, it's always going to type better than me. It has more pleasantries, et cetera. It's going to be longer, more verbose. I go to sleep. It don't go to sleep. Um, you know, uh, it can, oh, you didn't even mention this, but soon ChatGPT can read the entire chart and reply to each person having read their whole chart. And so the moment it gets access to the chart, it's going to be unstoppable. It's going to say, oh, you know, but it says here that you take metformin. Uh, did you take it last night? Uh, oh, you missed it last week. You know, it's going to be able to prompt you know all about you. And uh, it's going to be unnerving. And the last thing I'd say is when they made that device that you sit in your living room and it always listens to you. And um, but you can say, OK, play whatever song you want or tell me the recipe for this or what time is it? What weather? I was such a skeptic. I said, I'll be damned if that device comes in here and starts listening to all the sweet things I say when no one's listening. I'll be damned if that happens. But then maybe about a year ago, I caved. And I put that little device there. At first, I covered up its microphone and I tried to, you know, disable it. Um, but eventually I let it free. I let it off the leash. Now, I quite like it. You know, I'm cooking. And I'm like, oh, you know, I ask it to play a song. It's on. I ask it to adjust the volume. I ask it, uh, this morning I woke up and I was like, what's on today's schedule? And it said, the best sensible medicine podcast yet. It's, I didn't even know that. It already said, you know. So uh, technology has a way, you know, it creeps in on you. Um, so maybe this will too. All right. This is a great discussion. Uh, people know where to find you, John. Congratulations on that alt metric. It's going higher and higher. I called it. And I think you're going to get a thousand citations. That's what I called it as well. So you heard it here first. Um, trans thank thanks to Tracy, Adam, and John Mandrella. Thanks for doing this. Until next time.